So we're doing a little standalone sermon today. This isn't a new series we're doing. Uh, we're in between series. Next week we'll pick up on a new series that we're doing. Uh, Pastor Jason is on vacation in Houston, so he's not sick or anything like that. So I know sometimes that's a question when this happens, but we love when he gets the opportunity to get away, to have a break, right? Because even pastors need days off, right? Um, and so today um, we're, we're doing a sermon called Be Still, right? And these are the words that uh, Jesus is going to be saying in this passage. And before we dive in, I want to challenge every single one of you in this room as we're reading, okay? So a lot of times we come to the Bible, and it's this book, and it's old, and it has all these stories, right? And it's great because we're reading all these narrative accounts. However, I think a lot of times we neglect the use of inserting ourselves into the story. And so I want to give you a little heads up. In this story, we are the disciples. Okay? Y'all good? We are the disciples in this story. All right? We're not, we're not, and we're not going to do too hot. All right? So uh, I just want to let you know, I want you to read this. As you're reading this, read this from the perspective of the disciples. Now, to give some context, the disciples were not Bible scholars. The disciples were also not 50-year-old guys that you see in paintings and you see in some depictions, right? However, if you go watch The Chosen, it's a little bit more accurate. Go watch Chosen. These were, you see all these teenagers right here? Right here? Yeah, like look at, look at Ethan and Wyatt and Zaid. Yeah, those guys. That's what the disciples were. They were, these guys right here. So imagine them running a boat. All right? Yeah, I know. So anyway, so we're going to be diving in. I just give some context, all right? Um, so we're going to be in Mark 4. We're going to start verse 35, and that will be on the screen here. So they've just gotten done doing a lot of ministry, right? Jesus has been talking to the crowds. He's been healing people. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. I'm interrupting myself because this is one of my favorite facts of the New Testament. Whenever they're saying, let's go to the other side, they're switching audiences. Anyway, there you go. They're going from Gentiles to the Jews, or Jews to the Gentiles. Anyway, that's, how, that's, that's what that means. Um, and so they take him, Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. So it's like a whole convoy of boats, right? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. He was in the stern. He's in the stern. He's not just kind of like chilling on top of the surface of the boat, right? He's like actually in a compartment in the stern, napping on a cushion, and they wake him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I want you all to pause. Imagine a bunch of teenagers freaking out right now, right? They're like, what? Jesus! Yeah, anyway, we'll get to that. But just context, right? Context. And he wakes up, he rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, he says, Peace, be still. And the, great, the wind ceased, and behold, there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This story, I love this story, but I, but I, I was actually challenged by it a few weeks ago um, because I, I thought about it. Right? I, I just kind of read it randomly uh, one day in, in my Bible study. And I thought to myself, we see Jesus talking to the storm, right? But I couldn't help but wonder, 
And the text is never going to mean anything it doesn't mean, right? I can't help but wonder if when he's speaking to the storm, the disciples also felt like he was speaking to them a little bit, right? Because when you think about it, and I love literature, I love books, um, the storm is a very real thing. It happened, but it's also this physical representation of everything that's going on in the disciples' lives right now, and their hearts and their minds. They're like, there's all this craziness going on. Like, there's a storm, right? But it's also this, this they've got all this going on, right? And uh, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an anxious person. I'm a bit of an overthinker. You can ask my family. You can, you, well, they're all back there, right? They will tell you, Franklin likes to overthink. Franklin gets anxious. And so when I read passages like this, be still, that's one of the greatest challenges right now. In this case, Jesus is saying, hey, shh, like, shush, shut up. That's not churchy language, but I said it, right? It was on live stream. Um, but he's like, be still, chill out, right? And, and we see the first thing that disciples abandon is the fact that Jesus is with them, right? What is the first thing you do when life falls apart, when something crazy happens? Are you thinking, well, God's with me. I'll be fine. No, that's not, that's not how we think, right? And if you do, that's awesome. Personally, I was convicted because that's not how I think. Usually I'm like, this sucks. This is a freaking mountain that I have to move, right? And I forget that God's with me. All I see is a freaking storm. There's a boat filling up, right? It's, and it's like Wally Coyote or Elmer Fudd, like going down a freaking river, and there's a cork. There's like, you know, and they're like, Aah! and you can't do anything about it, right? And that is how it goes. We forget that God is with us. And that's actually the first point is that God is not absent in his stillness. He's taking a nap, right? But he's not absent. He's not unaware of what's going on. He is not absent in his stillness. And yet so many times we respond like the disciples. We're just like, God, hey, where are you? Do you see what's going on? Do you care? I don't see you moving. I don't see you doing this. I don't see you fixing the problem. You're taking a nap, right? And it's, it's this crazy thing, cause, and, and the humans are so funny, because we, we, we tend to have this idea that just because we don't actively see what God is doing on our side of things, because we're limited creatures, and we think that somehow if God doesn't move in that limited scope, that he's not doing anything, we think that he's not moving, because we can't see him, right? When that is definitely not the case, right? But that's our, that's, that is our response, like, God, do you care? Do you see me? I feel alone right now. I need you. Where are you? We see David say this in Psalm 22. This is actually the psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross. And he says, it's very popular. Y'all probably know it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten about me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh my God, I cry by day. You do not answer and by night, but I do not find any rest. But here's the fun part. I love this part because it kicked me in the behind. Look at verse 3. David is feeling alone, feeling alone, feeling alone. But what is he reminded of? He's reminded that God is holy. He's enthroned on the praise of Israel. In other words, God is still there. He's still sovereign. He's even over this situation. Right? And, and we're meant to come back to this place of just because... God 
isn't there. The disciples are like, Jesus, don't you care what's going on? But he's still there. Right? Does that make sense? Is this tracking? Is anyone else convicted by this? I'm pretty convicted by this. Because I stink at it. When I don't see God moving, if I'm going through something, and I can't see God, I stay in the fact that I can't see God moving. Right? But he's there. Tim Keller, in a sermon on Joseph, who was, I don't know if you know much about Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, accused of assault falsely, went to prison. And then he was eventually made to be second in command of Egypt during a famine. Actually ended up saving tons and tons of lives. And God was working in the background of his chaos, but this is what Tim Keller says. He says, it is when God appears to be silent that he is most active in the background. When God appears to be silent, that is when he is most active in the background. And that's why, that is why, that God can look at us and be like, hey, I see you freaking out, but chill out. I'm here. I'm with you, right? He says in Psalm 46, 10, this is one of my favorite verses. Again, be still and know that I'm God. How many of you have small children? Yeah. Awesome. I have a beautiful little daughter named Jace. Um, when I got married in March, I got her, and she is, lo I love you. Um, she's back there. And the other night, we saw a big old freaking dirt dauber, right? Which, if you're an adult, you know that these things are harmless, but they look like giant demonic wasps, right? <laughs> and Jace has been stung by a wasp before, and so she's not a very big fan. And it got in our kitchen, right? It gets in our kitchen. It's flying around. She's like, Daddy, do you see it? Do you see it? It's right there. It's right there. And she's kind of like looking at me, like confused, like why am I not freaking out? That, because she's freaking out, right? She's like, it's right there. You see it? I'm like, I see it. And she picks up like a Tupperware bowl and like is hurling it at it. And like a poppet, if you know what a poppet is, it's these little sensory things that kids love. And some adults do, actually. Um, and she's like, yeah. And she's like totally missing it. And she's using everything she can find to, to get this thing that's flying around. It's like right there. She's not aiming very well. That'll get better over time, I'm sure. But little kids, they kind of, what do they do? They see something that's alien to them. They see this bug. They see this thing. And they're like, yuck! Let me do it by myself! And they're also freaking out because it's there. And they're wondering why you're not freaking out with them. And they're trying to use these, these little weapons that they have in their own little arsenal that aren't very good. This is the same language that God uses in this. He says, be still. The Hebrew here means let go. Put down your weapons. Chill out. Put down the Tupperware. Put down the poppet. Put down the Barbie lipstick. Right? Let me take care of it. Right? Because when we freak out, we try to do things on our own, it usually doesn't go very well. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that tends to be my experience, right? And I think Peter, the biggest spaz in the Bible, I don't know, I don't know if, if y'all don't know much about Peter, every time Jesus would try to do something, Peter's like, how about you do this? You know, and do it like this. Jesus, uh, Peter, I want to wash your feet. No, wash my whole body. And he's like, you don't get it. Peter, uh, eventually I'm going to have to die. No, you're not. And it's, get out of the way, dude. When Jesus is getting arrested, 
you know, he cuts off a dude's ear. And, and Peter's just this spaz, constantly freaking out. And I can imagine, I imagine him in the boat, right? He sees the water, and he's a sailor. He's a fisherman, right? So when these things happen, he's used to hearing stories about people not making it. And so he has these fears in his head, and he sees all this stuff happening. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know? And eventually he learns his lesson, because in 1 Peter 5, he says this. You can cast all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. Now, he didn't really do that at first in this situation. But as an old man, he's actually learned a lot. He's actually really wise now. And why does he point out where it matters that you cast your anxieties? Why does it matter where we put our anxieties? Well, it's because where we look in life's storms is either going to save us or it's going to drown us. And Peter got to experience that firsthand. Where we look in life storms is either going to drown us or it's going to save us. Another way I like to say it, I just made it a fun fact. It's like a sub point, right? When Jesus isn't our refuge, something else is going to be. When Jesus isn't our refuge, something else is going to be. Because the disciples, what are they looking at? They wouldn't be called out on their faith if they were looking at Jesus first, what are they looking at first? They're looking at the structural integrity of the boat. They're only looking at the things that they can see. They're only looking at their situation. They see all the cracks. They see all the waves. And they see all the scariness going on. And half of them don't even know what they're doing. Only a handful of them are fishermen. And they're freaking out. They're only looking at their problem and what they can see, right? And they, they have so much faith in this boat. And then finally it dawns on them, we got to go get Jesus. Right? And I want to ask you all this question because I think it's important for each and every single one of us to evaluate this on a regular basis. What or who are you putting your refuge in? What or who are you putting your refuge in? Sorry, give me a second. Because if it's Jesus, you've got hope. If it's Jesus, you have peace. If Jesus, you've got a chance. But if it's not, let's say, well, I don't know. Let's say you get home from work and you enjoy a drink every now and then, right? Orange juice, wine, I don't care, right? But then something happens that's outside of your control, like what's happening with the disciples. And then you start turning to this thing to comfort you. And to become a distraction. To become something that numbs out all the noise, that numbs out all the pain, that, that you put all of your just comfort and your refuge in. And what happens as a result? Well, you become absent from your family. You kind of miss out on a lot that's going on, right? Same thing with, golly, I would say social media, Right? or binging Netflix, like whatever it is, we have these things that we find that are good, that are fun things. Like I enjoy watching TV every now and then, right? But if it's becoming something that I use and I put all of my comfort in, all my refuge in, if that's what I run to when life gets hard, I'm going to be stripped of my humanity, right? Some of you, maybe it's a relationship, 
or even worse, a, a kind of a young people say situationship, right? Where you are going to this or that person for temporary comfort, and you end up feeling like crap afterward anyway because that's not going to fulfill you, right? So what are you placing your refuge in? Because that matters. What are you using, what are you going to when the boat starts to sink? Because the answer to that question matters. Because if it's not Jesus, it's not going to fulfill you. And it's definitely not going to bring you peace or stability. All these things, all the other things I listed are just some examples of what we would call, I think, in church language, idols. Right? And I actually want to give you something that Joshua, the judge, says to the people of Israel during a ceremony. So Josh, I love Joshua. He took over from Moses, and at first, you read all Joshua 1, he's freaking out. He's like, I've got all this responsibility, I have to lead all these people, and God is constantly like, hey, just be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. Like, God's got him. And as an old man in Joshua 24, he's able to say to Israel this, he says, hey, choose this day who you're going to serve, whether that be the gods of your fathers who served in the region beyond the river, Right? Or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. Now, he's not just talking about, when he mentions these other gods, he's not just talking about these random statues, right? I'm not going to pray to a Lego figurine if it doesn't have results, right? So, a little bit of background. This is a different sermon for a different time, but I'll give you the summary. These gods, right, these little g-gods, are uh, spiritual beings that we like to call demons. So you have these other cultures praying to demons that bear some results, but then, in a way, the Israelites that are engaging with these, these, these spirits, essentially, are losing bits and pieces of who God has made them to be, and that robs them of their purpose and of their humanity, right? And Joshua's like, hey, you can go mess around with those those guys. But me and my family, we're going to stick with God because he actually takes care of us. He actually fulfills. He's actually been there for us. He's going to constantly be there for us and give us purpose and give us life and give us hope. Jesus, Matthew 6, same thing. He's like, don't worry about all the things you're going to eat, all the things you're going to drink, all the things you're going to wear, right? Because who, who worries about all these things? Well, it's the Gentiles. It's the people who don't even know God. It's the Romans, right, who, who currently have Israel in captivity in Jesus' day and age. They're the ones who stress about all these things. They're the ones who put all their eggs in these baskets, right? And he's like, quit worrying about it. You don't got to talk to Zeus. You don't got to talk to Dionysus. You don't got to hang out with Herod because he's an Edomite, and that's a whole other thing. But just focus on the kingdom. Look up. Where you look matters. I think something that's very important, this is the last point, is that with Jesus in the boat, we have access to peace in the chaos. And that's what he's saying in Matthew 6. That's what he's saying here. He says, I am the peace in the chaos. I am the quiet in the storm. Right? That is not, please keep in mind, that says peace in the chaos. That is not peace in place of the chaos. In this life, it's going to be hard, right? 
Jesus doesn't deny the fact that life is hard. Jesus doesn't say that if you follow me, I'm going to give you prosperity. Anyone who tells you that has an agenda, and they're wrong. What he says is, he is the peace in the storm. Look at what he says. He says, peace be still, the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he asks them, he says, why are you freaking out? Do you still not have any faith? Do you still not know that I'm going to take care of you, that I am who I say I am? Because the reality is, Jesus could have easily made the boat fly and be on land, right? Because let's think about it. If one storm erupted, surely another storm could erupt on the water, right? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with us either, right? He keeps him on the water. He's like, hey, do you remember who I am? Do you remember that I'm going to take care of you? I'm God in the flesh, dude. Have faith. Where is your faith? And this is the reminder. He says, I've overcome the world in this life. You're going to have trouble, but I've already overcome it. Everything that freaks you out, everything that scares you in this life, right? He's already defeated. He's already overcome it. So that doesn't deny the, the reality that it's hard. Life is hard, right? We all go through stuff. We all go through storms. We all have stuff happen that scares us. That freaks us out. That's outside of our control. That's the main thing. That feeling of not being in control is one of the scariest things for human beings. And we're constantly going to have those experiences. But guess what? He's in the boat with us. And that's actually the first application point. You need to remember who's in your boat. When your boat is sinking, look at who's with you. And I do want to offer an aside. I hope that's Jesus. Right? I hope that that is Jesus. Because if it's him, you can know that he's got you. Why? Because he said even far back in Isaiah, he says, when you pass through the waters, you're not going to drown. When you pass through the fire, you're not going to be burnt. Yeah, it might singe your clothes a little bit. Yeah, it might get the tip of your hair. Yeah, you might have to get new shoes, but you're going to be fine in the long run. You're going to come out, right? It's not going to consume you. It's going to feel like it. My gosh, how many of y'all have had experiences in life where it just felt like everything that was going on in life just like was crashing down on you? You can raise your hands. I'll raise my hand. There you go. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. It stinks, right? It stinks and it's hard. It's so hard. But guess what? Even in those moments... He's there. He's the God who comforts us. He's the God who comes up and, and, and picks us up and gives us a hug and says, I'm not going to tell you to have a better attitude. I'm going to tell you that I'm with you. I'm right here, dude. I'm holding your hand. You're going to be okay. But here's the thing. Jesus has to be holding our hand. We, uh, I, let me say it a different way. We have to be holding his hand. You got that? You got everything else. you hold on to anything else, that's not going to help you out, right? If you're holding on to alcohol, if you're, if you're holding on to this relationship, if you're holding on to this uh, distraction, essentially, if you're going to these things to carry you through life, they're just going to disappoint you because you put all your eggs in these baskets that are made of freaking paper, right? And they burn and they sink, right? They dissolve. But man, you got Jesus. He's got you. All right. Application two. Let's go. That's a, dude, that's my freaking, uh, that's my application point. Strive for the peace at last, not temporary fixes. 
because temporary fixes are only there to numb and distract you, and that's not living life. That's not moving forward. You can have happy things in your life that you enjoy, but if you're using them to numb and distract, you're not moving forward and you're not living life. You're not living the life God wants you to have. He wants you to have abundance. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. And if you're just numbing things out, you're not living. You're not living. I think the third application point here is that we need to remember that we have a Savior who's no stranger to storms. We have a Savior who's no stranger to storms. Let me give you a short little summary of all the things that Jesus went through in his earthly ministry. First things first, he lost his dad. The Bible doesn't talk about it, but guess what? Mary was a widow. Joseph died. That stinks, right? That stinks. Jesus went through that. He felt pain. And yes, God was his true father. Yes, but Joseph was still his earthly dad influence. Golly, he took care of that kid. And he died. He loses John, his cousin. He loses Lazarus, but he got to cheat with that one, right? He was rejected in his own hometown. He was called demon-possessed by all the religious guys. Imagine that. that that All of these things. He went through ridicule and persecution. He... Then he was, you know, beaten, had the flesh stripped off of his back, was nailed to a cross, right? He died one of the most humiliating deaths on our behalf. Why? Because he knew that God was doing something in the background. He knew that what he was going through doesn't compare what Paul says to the future glory that's coming, right? So I can go through hell here, right? Jesus went through hell for us, quite literally, he felt hell. That's why he prayed Psalm 22, God, why are you forsaking me, right? And he destroyed the things that bound us there so that we can have life with him, right? He went through all of that for us. And man, if that's not an example of, hey, there's something good on the other side, I don't know what is, because that's probably the worst picture that anyone could go through, and he did it already, so we don't have much to worry about, right? There we go. So, Man, you gotta, you got to look to Jesus. He knows storms. He knows what it's like to suffer. Please, please, please don't rule out, the, rule, you know, don't, don't say, well, he's God. That was easy for him. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. That was the hardest thing he ever had to do. Can you imagine for 33 years limiting yourself to a human body that gets sick, that gets tired, eats something funky? It's not fun, right? Like, imagine that. And then dying one of the most humiliating deaths you can possibly die. Think about that. He didn't have it easy, and he went through that for you. And man, if he is saying that he's overcome the world and he's got you, I would believe that, right? So real quick, I'm going to leave you with some helpful resources. These are also new digital notes, right? But man, if you are having moments in life, like the disciples, like you are out of control, you feel like life is out of control, and you're freaking out, Here's some, here's some little, little things for you. Matthew 6, 25-34, the anxiety chapter. I like calling Matthew 6 the anxiety chapter. Philippians 4, 6-7, and then here's some books. I'm not going to run through all of them because there's a lot, but they're all really good. You should go check them out, all right? So love y'all. Man, life is going to get out of control. But guess who's got you? You got Jesus, okay? 
And if you don't know Jesus, I would, I would ask and encourage you to, to talk to one of us, what that looks like, right? Um, so real quick, I'm going to pray, and then we got a few announcements, right? All right. Man, dear God, thank you for your love. First off, thank you for your love, because uh, without it, I don't know where we would be. God, thank you for being our peace in the storms. Thank you for the fact that you're not a God that denies our reality, but instead you step down into that reality and you suffer with us. And you also suffer for us. God, I just pray that for everyone here, for anyone here who's going through stuff, anyone who's, who's carrying something, anyone who feels like they're walking through the fire, they're walking through the flames, God, their boat is sinking. God, I pray that you would, you would, love them enough to, to intervene somehow, get someone in their life, Holy Spirit, step into their life to where they can look to you and they can rely on you and that even when life is falling apart, they have that hope that they're going to get through it with you. God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the things that you have to teach us. Thank you that we are the goofy disciples. I just pray that um, in that, we would continue to grow and be sanctified and look more like you. So we love you. We praise you. Thank you that you still our storms. It's in your name I pray. Amen.